It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe. Click the subscribe button on whatever podcasting platform you are listening, and then you get the podcast every single day, or you just go to thepetecalendershow.com. Click subscribe there. Uh, you can also become a patron of the program, get exclusive content, and help keep the show on the air. And uh, patrons, I want to give a shout out. By the way, if you become a patron, then I, I give a shout out to you as well. That's what I do. Uh, like Kathleen, Matt, Jason, Marlene, Jenny and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, Lisbeth. Thank you very much for uh, becoming patrons and supporting the program. I could not do the program without you. Um, so the question today, and this is really a, a very simple, I think, and fundamental question that everybody in America should kind of sort of have the same answer for, but we don't. And that, that question is, how much power should one person have in government? How much power should a single individual have in government? Because it really is one of the fundamental uh, premises upon which our country was founded, right? And it has also laid bare a lot of the partisanship that has so infected our government and the officials that populate these posts. So uh, this is now coming to a head in North Carolina. We're not the only state. There are a bunch of other states that are looking at reigning in emergency powers uh, and uh, that the governors have been wielding during the pandemic. North Carolina is now taking this issue up. We're going to go uh, deeper into this because the House actually took this um, this proposed legislation up in uh, a floor vote and it passed. Uh, now, what happens to it next? It goes to the Senate. Will the governor veto it? More than likely. And then Democrats are going to have a choice to make. They opposed it in the House, but they're going to have a choice to make because if they if they don't flip their votes and override the governor's veto, which I suspect they will not. But uh, if they if they don't do that, then what they're saying is they're OK with one person being in charge and making these kinds of decisions for all of us in perpetuity. And uh, that, to me, is really, really dangerous, really dangerous, kind of like using the wrong tool for a job. Dangerous. That's why you go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, by the way, because they've got the right tool for the job, whether it's a big job, a small job, a medium job, a medium to big job. OK, I can really do that all day. But the whatever the job you're looking to do requires a tool that general equipment rental has they'll give it to you they'll rent it to you they'll show you how to use it uh, and then you get the job done you get it done right and you're not making multiple trips back and forth to some big box store i've done it i've been there <laughs> you know <laughs> because you don't know what you're doing and you don't realize that there's a specific tool that would really make this job way easier general equipment rental they've got all your tools also for uh, uh spring uh, uh outdoor season here like tillers, for example, they got mowers, they've got pressure washers, chainsaws and trimmers, hedge clippers, they've got blowers and these uh, gas powered, battery powered, commercial, residential. They've got uh, Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment. They're the official dealers and service providers for those brands. So whatever you are looking to do, buy, rent, whatever the project size, big, small and all points in between, go to General Equipment Rental. 
GeneralRents.com is their website. You can see the inventory that they've got there and all the deals they're running. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, GeneralRents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So should one person be able to close every single business nonprofit and government agency in a state indefinitely without any check on that power. That's the question that's at the heart of this debate over North Carolina's Emergency Management Act. This is the the law that Governor Roy Cooper has been using to issue every one of his executive orders for over a year. Now, state legislators are looking to rein in Cooper's reign, if you will, Uh, But it's going to take some Democrats if this effort is going to succeed. The Council of State's responsibility is to help the governor in dealing with issues of this magnitude. In a republic, no single person should, according to our constitutions, no single person should be responsible, nor would I think any single person would want to be held to that level of responsibility. That's Representative Keith Kidwell from Craven County. Uh, He is one of the primary sponsors of the bill. Kidwell said Governor Cooper could benefit greatly from the advice and expertise of, like, say, for example, the person who oversees the state's agricultural sector, the commissioner of agriculture, right? How about the state's education system or labor, insurance, finance, law enforcement? We need the advice of as many people as we can possibly put up there to properly handle pandemics. This was just a word we saw on TV in the past. We all watched the movie years ago. I think it was 20 years ago. The movie Pandemic, we were all like, that'll never happen. You know, we got way too smart a scientist for that, but yet here we are. And I do recall in those movies, they always had every possible person who had any awareness or intelligence at all related to the matter helping them. Yeah. Um, Guilford County Democratic Representative Amos Quick was... Quick with the comeback. Unfortunately, this is not a movie. This is real life. Mm. This is a global pandemic. It is not Governor Cooper or any other governor waking up one morning and deciding that they want power. It is a response to a pandemic that hit the whole world in March of last year and probably even before that. Boom. Roasted. Ah, see, not a movie. This is the real world. This is reality. This is a pandemic. And you'll notice the way that Representative Quick takes the analogy of this movie, you know, because Representative Kidwell says, you know, it's like the movies. They always surround themselves with all these people. And by the way, the people on the Council of State, these are the other statewide elected officials. They're all along with the governor. These are the other nine members who uh, nine officials who get elected statewide. So you've got the governor, lieutenant governor. You've got the agriculture commissioner. You've got the attorney general. You've got the commissioner of labor, treasurer, insurance commissioner, auditor, uh, superintendent of public instruction, and the secretary of state. Okay. And right now, so there are 10 of those. And right now, there are six Republicans and four Democrats. The top votainer, the one who got the most votes in the last election, would be the agriculture commissioner. Indeed, Steve Troxler. Uh, so that's the Council of State. So, so you've got Kidwell who says, look, you surround yourself with all these people. Like, it's always in the movies. You see all these people, right? They're they're advising the leadership. And then Representative Quick turns around and says, this isn't the movies. This is real life. Boom, roasted. Okay. But what he's doing is he's taking this analogy of the movie and distorting it in service to a preconceived conclusion, right? His conclusion is, 
don't do this. His conclusion is, this is unnecessary. We must protect the precious, the governor's power. Kidwell's reference to a scene from a movie was that it's illustrative of reality, that the scene is so ubiquitous in movies because it is obviously and universally accepted as true. It ha- this is what normally happens in real life. That's why it's in all of the movies. Now, Representative Quick's point is that movies aren't real. And he uses this sleight of hand to kind of dismiss the obvious uh, truth that elected leaders, of course, rely on input from different people with expertise. This is why his line of argument is actually so disingenuous, okay? It's, it's false. In the case of Governor Cooper himself, he claims he speaks with people from various sectors. We just covered this a couple of days ago on the show, right? He talked about the people he consults in his discussions, people from, you know, healthcare and business and government officials and legislators, and he's making all of these decisions uh, uh, with, with input, right? Whenever he does these executive orders... He always says that he gets all of these people um, that advise him. Now, he doesn't tell us who they are, right? But he says he talks to people about it. So that's exactly what Kidwell is saying, by the way, right? So like Kidwell's analogy is, in fact, reality right now. <laughs> we just don't see the people that Cooper allegedly speaks with. Right. If again, if we are to believe the governor on this now, I guess maybe you know, maybe we could or should believe Cooper's Democratic colleague here, Representative Quick. And maybe we should say, OK, Cooper's lying. He's actually not getting expert counsel from all of these people in order for Quick's analogy takedown to be accurate, which I don't think it is, by the way. I do believe Governor Cooper talks to people. I just don't know who they are. But the purpose of the Council of State is to do this very thing. That's why there are 10 of them. Right. That's why they're all elected statewide. They're they're kind of overseeing different sectors of the economy or different state agencies. They have different areas of control. Right. Look. Okay. All right. I get it. This was what Representative Quick was doing. It was a clumsy attempt at a, a zinger. Right. That's what that was. It was a clumsy attempt at a zinger. Kidwell makes his comment and Quick just kind of pivots off of that. And he's trying to make a segue. And segues are difficult. Uh, look, I get it. Trust me. I know I do segues all the time. Like right now, I'm segueing into an endorsement for Mattress Man where, you know, they're, they're upgrading all of your mattresses for free, basically. So if you got a queen and you want to go to a king, then you can get a king for the price of a queen. If you want a uh, queen size and you're upgrading from a twin then you get a queen for the price of a twin. It's a free upgrade. Get a king for the price of a queen and a queen for the price of a twin. Or as I like to call it, a Roy Cooper for the price of a... No, I'm just kidding. But you, <laughs> you, you can get the bigger mattress for free. Free upgrades at Mattress Man, okay? Mattressmanstores.com. That's the website. They're the exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection made by Restonic in Fayetteville. Uh, and right here in North Carolina. And uh, these are the beds that are in use at the inn and the hotel uh, on the Biltmore grounds. So if you've ever been there, if you've ever dreamed of sleeping on one of their fantastic mattresses, you can actually buy one of them from Mattress Man. Uh, remember, take advantage of their flexible financing options like no interest for two years. Uh, get free local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they do ship nationwide. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local, 
and sleep better. You didn't even realize. All right, so where was I? What was I talking about? Oh, yes. Democratic Representative Amos Quick. Okay. He was saying that, look, man, this isn't some sort of a movie. Unfortunately, this is not a movie. This is real life. Right. This is a global pandemic. Indeed. It is not Governor Cooper or any other governor waking up one morning and deciding that they want power. Well. It is a response to <laughs> a pandemic that hit the whole world in March of last year and probably even before that. All right. So hang on a second. So he says this is not Governor Cooper waking up and deciding that he wants power. See, but here's another. This is a weak argument. And he Representative Quick makes a lot of weak arguments. He could be actually a really good uh, legislator, I think, like or campaigner, politician, because he's very gifted at speaking. I think he's a pastor, very gifted. The problem is his arguments suck. <laughs> They're just terrible. This is such a weak argument. Oh, you know, Cooper doesn't wake up one morning saying he wants power. Okay, well, first off, it takes a certain person to run for governor, to be a career elected official, right? Roy Cooper has been a career elected official for four decades now. So I don't know if you can say that, oh, he just wakes up wanting more power. People run for office because there is an attraction to the power. And particularly when you start running for the higher offices, there is more of an attraction for that greater source of power first of all second of all that's not what makes this a weak argument though what makes it a weak argument is that it doesn't matter whether cooper woke up wanting the power or not okay even if i even if i give uh, quick the benefit of the doubt here and, and just cede the point to him government grows when it can People take advantage of crises and they expand their uh, sphere of authority, right? Their their ability to govern in more areas and, and take control of various sectors throughout history, right? Throughout history, this is how government encroaches on the liberties of its people through crises. So he may not have woken up and said, I want to seize power today. But when you seize the power, you've seized it nonetheless. And that is exactly what Cooper has done. He then goes on to make what I think is probably the strongest argument here. The governor for eight months before his reelection laid forth his course of action. The governor gave the voters the idea of the how he was would handle this pandemic. And in November, the governor was reelected by not all of the people, but the majority of the people. True. Partly because of the way he handled the pandemic. This is actually, I think, the strongest argument is that, look, Cooper's uh, leadership was on the ballot and he won. Right. He beat Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor, who offered a different course and lieutenant or uh, Governor Cooper beat Lieutenant Governor Forrest. And so that, I think, is the this is the most compelling and persuasive argument that Democrats have so far presented. A choice was even made in the election of governor in North Carolina is we would stay the course of our current governor or we would elect another person who wanted a very different course. Right. I regret that we think the response to this or some of us think that the response to a global pandemic is to strip the powers of a person whose crown none of us would probably want to wear. Okay, hang on a second. Probably not the best use of the term crown in this debate. Want to steer clear of the king and queen and royalty imagery 
Just a tip there. In this, uh, in this uh, current environment, I don't think the governor relishes the fact that he has to be the governor in the in a pandemic. And I think he's doing the best that he knows to do. Okay, fine. I don't care. It doesn't matter if he's doing the best he thinks he can do. And it doesn't matter uh, if, you know, nobody wants to do the job because it's oh so difficult. Like he asked for the job. He then ran for reelection during the pandemic. So you can't have that both ways. You can't say, look, he put it up for people and then they voted to have him back in. So they picked him. But then you can't turn around and say, oh, poor Roy, you know, because he's got to govern during the pandemic. Like he didn't have to run for reelection if he didn't want to, but he did on this message right on his leadership abilities uh and he won re-election you you don't get to have that both ways so that's again another weak argument then representative quick says that uh constantly going back to the council of state every 30 days doesn't make sense so what if 30 days after people begin to change their mind politically yeah and unfortunately we all know that this pandemic has become a political football on several sides. So I would vote against this bill, ask you to vote against this bill, because despite what we know even a year later, the New York Times reports that several countries in Europe are going back to more restrictive actions because opening up or allowing different things to happen has not worked. This is not the time to strip the governor of any power. This is a time to band together as North Carolinians because we are not out of the woods yet. Okay, that's not actually a logical argument. I'm still afraid, so therefore he deserves to keep all of this power, which, by the way, was never intended. That's not a great argument, okay? It's not persuasive to me. Um, The whole point of going to the Council of State and why it's in the law, because it is in the law already, okay, Cooper is using a loophole, an inconsistency, an error in the bill drafting process. That's what he's relying on. Um, The whole point is to go to the Council of State in order to get buy-in. This is, at a fundamental level, this is about the consent of the governed. That's what this is about. The Council of State members, those nine other members besides Cooper, it's not that they're particularly, you know, geniuses on anything, no offense to any of them, but... It's that they represent other people in the state that Governor Cooper did not win. And so by having those people on board with him, you then have a greater ability to maintain the consent of the governed. And I talked about this over the course of the year, and I'm pretty sure I remember pointing out, like, Cooper is losing the consent of the governed. He is. About half of the people didn't vote for him. They're already skeptical. And the more orders he issues that appear to be arbitrary and capricious, the less likely these folks are to continue to concede to his authority, right? They're not consenting. And when that happens, you have revolts. That's why you have people that are like, screw your masks. Like you have people like go and arrest me, right? All of these forms of protests that are starting to erupt and you go overseas, man, you're seeing all sorts of it in Europe where they're cracking down and have been cracking down on people. They've got massive demonstrations against lockdowns and such. Democratic Representative Marsha Mori from Durham says that the governor needs to keep all the power that he's got, uh, And getting consensus from the Council of State will just slow down his ability to save lives. If you're in a business and you're a CEO and your business is on fire, you can't stop to call your board of directors to say, what do we do? (laughs) 
It's always amazing. I always like listening to Democrats talk about what businesses would do. I know I'm generalizing here, and I don't know what Marsha Mori does. I, I, I'm just going. She's a Democratic lawmaker, so I'm going to assume she's either an activist or a lawyer. But I don't know. But it's always kind of comical the way they talk about business leaders and such. Like, what is this example that she gives? That a business is on fire, and so the CEO is going to run to the board of directors to ask them for consent on how to battle the fire that's burning down the building. Okay, this is a terrible argument. This is not this isn't even a weak argument. It's just terrible. It's insultingly dishonest. Okay, like you should be insulted for having heard it from her. Okay, the bill does not restrict the governor from acting immediately on anything. So it's it's not analogous. Her analogy is non-analogous. It also allows the governor to act without the Council of State's consent on um, localized emergencies if they can't handle them, right? This bill is only for a statewide emergency, so it's got to be two-thirds of all the counties, so 67 out of 100 counties have to be affected. So that's the first thing, statewide. Number two, if it lasts longer than a week, he has to keep coming back. What kind of fire is burning at a business for a week? Well, okay, yes, aside from the tire fire in Springfield. We have to give the power to the chief executive during the crisis as long as the crisis lasts. As long as the crisis lasts? As long as the crisis lasts? Maury said that the governor is like the CEO at the helm of a ship, which is... That's kind of a mixed metaphor there, too. Yeah, it's like, so wouldn't that be the captain of the ship? We're not asking in this bill to look at the Supreme Court. No. The chief justice of the Supreme Court has been able to issue executive orders, administrative orders to shut courts, to stop jury trials. Right. You know why? Because the governor issued the emergency declarations. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> that, that It all flows from there. Constitutional rights. And we're not saying to the chief justice, oh, you got to get the six associate justices on your side before you do that, because it is a time of crisis. It is a time of saving people's health and saving people's lives. So let's not fundamentally alter the structure of our government, especially in this one realm of crisis management. Okay, so uh, first of all, the Emergency Management Act is already law. Now, if there was a law that said, hey, the, the chief justice, who, by the way, they are empowered to make all of these decisions, like specifically empowered, this is their role. There's no there's no rule that says they have to go get the consent of the other Supreme Court justices, uh, whereas there is a law that says the governor is supposed to go get the consent of the governed or the consent of the uh, uh, Council of State. There is a law that says that. I have it in front of me, the Emergency Management Act. Here's here's the, I'll just get to the, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Guzet at the uh, John Locke Foundation, he says, you've got two components here in the Emergency Management Act. There's section 166A-1930B, which gives the governor a broad range of extraordinary emergency powers, but it specifies that he can only exercise those powers with the concurrence of the Council of State, Okay. Section 1930B. Section 1930C authorizes the governor to exercise a similarly broad range of powers, quote, if he determines 
that local control of the emergency is insufficient to assure adequate protection for the lives and property of the people. Okay, so section 1930B versus 1930C. 1930C says nothing about the concurrence of the Council of the State, or Council of State. Why? Bill drafting error? More than likely, like somebody messed up when they were writing it up and they didn't think, oh, I need to put that part in the second, uh, you know, the part that's in B has to be in part C as well. So it's probably an error. But if it's not, it's probably due to the fact that it is a local emergency. And so the governor would come in, do something to help in that local emergency because the local officials cannot. And so it's not contemplated that he would need all of the sweeping uh, powers to shut down everything in the state, which is what he's using it for. See, he's relying, Governor Cooper is using Section 1930C, the local part, in order to adopt and wield the powers outlined in Section B. Back in March, last March, a year ago, Cooper made an attempt to obtain Council of State concurrence before issuing his first statewide lockdown order. But when that attempt failed, and it didn't even like they didn't they were like, well, you know, we're not so sure. And he didn't even wait to try to like persuade them and talk with them. Nothing. He immediately went ahead and issued it anyway. And ever since he has been issuing and enforcing statewide lockdown orders without consulting the Council of State. Cooper's claim is that 1930 C is an independent grant of authority that authorizes him to impose statewide emergency orders without the concurrence of the Council of State whenever he determines that local control is insufficient to protect lives and property. Yet, you'll recall, during the school reopening debate, why did Governor Cooper veto that bill that was sent to him by the Republicans in the legislature? He said that the school districts didn't maintain enough local control. So he's using local control. He used it as a reason to veto the school reopening bill. Yet, yet he cites it as the reason why he has all of this authority. This is a point that Republican Representative Destin Hall from Caldwell County mentioned in his remarks from the committee floor. I think a year ago, most people across our state didn't believe that a governor had the power to shut down an entire state. And in fact, uh, it appears, and at least initially, perhaps Governor Cooper didn't believe he had the power to do that because in one of his first orders, he requested Council of State approval. And we all know that story. We've debated that. And some members of the Council of State asked some questions, and the governor switched legal theories and decided to move forth without getting that Council of State approval. But what this bill does is just simply makes clear that the Emergency Management Act requires that Council of State approval. Much of the act clearly requires Council of State approval. And to be fair, part of it is just simply not clear. And that's the part that the governor has been proceeding under for the last year. Hall went on to say that Governor Cooper has made some of the most consequential decisions of any governor in modern history, affecting the lives of nearly 11 million North Carolinians, and that those decisions were made by a single person without any requirement that he seek input from a single other human being. As my, my friend, Representative Quick, points out, the governor won re-election. Yes, he did. True. But... 
Two and a half million people in our state voted for the other candidate in that race. And that's the point of this bill, is that in an emergency situation, we need buy-in from folks. We don't need it to be a political football. Because some folks agree that, uh, or some folks think the governor did a great job, and some folks think he did a not-so-great job, and I bet most people in this state think it's probably somewhere in between. But in an emergency, you've got to have buy-in. And what we saw were some folks saying, I'm going to comply or I'm not going to comply based on who was issuing that order. What's needed in an emergency is a deliberative process from multiple statewide officials. And that's what this bill would give us. Right. Now, during an emergency, you need to have buy-in. Right. Unless, of course, everything's closed and then you're not buying anything, which is why you will have been thankful to have gone to Old Grouch's military surplus for when that emergency comes and you can't be doing buying. Right. Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde, they can uh, outfit you with an emergency kit. So you've got something for the go bag for your prepper supply. But OK, maybe you're just, you know, a hiker. You're an outdoorsy type. You're a hunter or a camper. You like to go fishing. You need to have supplies and the gear. And part of that is a first aid kit, an emergency kit. So uh, get you one at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They've got backpacks. They've got ammo cans. They've got uh, gun accessories. And, of course, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. By the way, this lack of buy-in during the emergency that Destin Hall is talking about, um, this is why people call him King Roy in certain quarters, because he's acting unilaterally. He doesn't tell us who his advisors are. He gets up there, he makes his pronouncements, his decrees, and then, you know, the the court stenographers, they all uh, relay it to us. They may ask him a question or two. Please predict the future, King Roy. And then it goes out to the, to, to you know, we the people in the land of Roy. And there are a lot of people that don't really appreciate that. In America, seriously, like, and I'm not saying this like, oh, in America, we just, I'm saying that this is one of our founding concepts, and it's pretty remarkable that the people who have spent the last five years screaming about democracy dying in darkness and protecting our democracy and threats to our democracy, they're totally fine with a single person wielding this kind of power. It really is remarkable. Uh, Representative Hall then pointed out that North Carolina is one of the only states in the country that gives this kind of indefinite power to a single governor. It's not about whether you agree or disagree with the governor. It's about the hugely consequential decisions that can be made under this act. And making sure that we've got a process that when someone's business is shut down or their school shut down, that we can trust that that was a process that was made in a deliberative way through more than just one person's decision-making process. Representative William Richardson, Democrat, Cumberland County, suggested he could uh, sign on to this. He could get on board if they make a change to just one part of the bill. Is all An just- executive cannot handle an emergency by consensus, by getting a vote of the Council of State. 
That is ill-advised. It is not a good way for an executive to govern. <laughs> now, it would be a much better piece of legislation if it said he had to consult with ah. him. That would be wise. I think the governor did, in fact, consult with numerous people, and I think he did as good a job as anybody could do under the circumstances. But, folks, don't change the constitutional setup we have in this state. Our governor is not considered one of the strongest governors in the, in the state in terms of the office of governor. This will affect a Republican governor. This will affect a Democratic governor. Good. It will affect every governor from this point forward. Good. And this is not the type of time to react to a situation where we may not have agreed with what the governor, the present governor did. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Cooper did or did not do. That's not the point. I will say, over the course of my 20 years covering state government, <laughs> it is rare that I am presented with people who are able to offer good arguments. It's kind of, it's kind of disappointing. It really is. This is what passed. Think about that. This is, what, this is a state lawmaker who's setting rules for all of us in North Carolina. He's got, I mean, he's in the minority party, of course, and he's from Cumberland County. I don't know. I, I don't think he's got a lot of sway. But you can, none of them are making a compelling argument. None of them are able to persuade me to even consider the argument because they're so weak. And if, if not weak, they're just outright terrible. The, the, the strongest argument is that, look, Cooper ran for re-election and a lot of people liked what he was doing. Okay. Strong argument, I guess, but also kind of irrelevant. It's not about Cooper. It's about the power. And like, oh, this is going to impact uh, Republican governors too. Precisely the point. No one person, I don't care what party they are with, no one person should be able to shut down every business, every government agency, every nonprofit. They shouldn't be able to do it. It's too much power. Indefinitely, it's too much power. I understand maybe temporarily something happens. Oh, my gosh, a meteor is about to hit, you know, shut it all down or whatever. But you can't keep this power for a year. It's like I'm hesitant to use the word because it's such a loaded term, you know, but it is like fundamentally anti-American. It is an anti-American concept. It's an anti-democratic, lowercase d, anti-democratic concept. It's, you know, do you want a king? Because this is how you get authoritarians. This is how you get people who take control of the power of government. That's how this happens. So Richardson is saying, just change the language, make it consult rather than consensus. What's the difference there is that consulting just means you got to check a box. I could just send off an email to the Council of State and say, hey, I consulted. Think about this. Okay. You're the executive in charge of this state. All right or you're the executive in charge of any organization, okay. and you have to stop and suspend what you're doing in an emergency situation to get a consensus yeah. of, a, of, this, of, a, of, a, of other elected officials that yeah. comprise the Council of State? Correct. When citizens' lives are at stake? Correct. That's not what our branches of government are designed to do. The executive branch is designed to act and execute the laws and to deal with emergencies like this. It is ill-advised to make him pause and to make him do 
the, the things that you're having to do in this bill. <laughs> Which is simply to get consensus of the other members of the executive branch, because the Council of State, they're not legislators, okay? The Council of State is not a legislative branch. So he's talking about these branches of government, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. So I'm not going to listen to any more of your argument. You don't know what you're talking about. He also does the same false analogy that Representative Maury was constructing that, you know, they, oh, my God, the place is on fire. You, you can't have somebody asking for consensus. Like, this only takes effect for the long term after a week. And if you want to keep it going, it would just be every month you'd have to keep getting consensus, getting buy-in, getting support from the Council of State. And it's only if it affects at least two thirds of all the counties. Okay, there are limiting principles in place. These principles, I think, were actually put in place by Democrats years ago. Anyway, Speaker Pro Tem Sarah Stevens, Republican from Surrey, said Governor Cooper ignored the vast amount of expertise that members of the Council of State have and that, you know, he could have actually benefited from that, but he refused. I agree. The governor needed some immediate emergency power to take care of this. But beyond that, he needed the input of other people who were also elected statewide. Those are people who've also reached out to all the constituents across North Carolina who bought valuable resources and information in. And yes, there should have been a consent and a majority and a consultation with those people. This, I, and I don't care whether it was Republican or Democrat, I would be just as upset if there were a single Republican governor over there doing things without the consultation, not just consultation, but consent and involvement of the other elected officials in this state. Here is David Willis. He is a Republican from Union County saying, look, our nation was founded on the concept of checks and balances. You know, our nation and our state were founded on principles of checks and balances. And this bill solidifies those checks and balances for North Carolina. This bill allows the governor to act immediately. It does not strip that power from him, provides him with plenty of time to seek advice and then counsel from the Council of State. The emergency powers currently used should not have an indefinite timeline as we've seen. Yeah. We have no plan. We've had no plan. And we deserve for the men and women, the small businesses, the parents, the educators, uh, the people of this state deserve to know a plan, a timeline for when we can move forward with this and not continued moving goalposts. No, uh, no single individual should have that much power and control over our state. Speaking of our state, uh, there's a magazine called Our State, and they've got an ad running for Growers Hemp, one of our sponsors of the program. GrowersHemp.com is the website. Growers Hemp uh, is a company founded by North Carolina farmers, and they said, you know what, we're growing this hemp, and we've got these companies that are coming in from like California, and they're like, hey, why don't you make CBD products? And then they got them to plant a bunch of hemp, and then they like took off. And so these farmers were like, well, that stinks. How about we just do this ourselves? And uh, if we do this, we give people a high quality product and we give it to them for a great price and we help save the family farms that we're running. And that's what they've done. Growers Hemp, growershemp.com. They control the whole process from seed to shelf. Go to their website, growershemp.com. Use my name, Pete, promo code Pete on checkout and you'll get 20% off. 
Okay. I take these drops before I go to bed at night and uh, I sleep more deeply. Like I don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking about stuff, tossing and turning. Like I just, I don't have that happen any longer. And I'm not the only one either. Um, Jeff says the same thing. He's a listener of the program. He says, I, uh, he says, I believe it allows me to sleep better, especially when I first get into bed. Uh, He says, after 20 something years of only sleeping a couple of hours a night, it's nice to make it through the night. Kim said that the balm they have, the topical, she says it's amazing. Uh, She burnt herself on a hot glue gun and she didn't have any of her lavender oil that she usually uses. So she put some of the balm on the burn and she said it was the fastest healing burn she's ever had. The blister dried up. It's uh, practically unnoticeable in less than 24 hours. I do not have a lot of experience with uh, glue gun burns, but it sounds like that's pretty fast. All right. Uh, Here is the disclaimer that I got to give you. GovCo requires me to tell you that these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA approved research. And these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease. And nothing I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Again, go to growershemp.com, promo code Pete for 20% off from North Carolina farmers to you. Growers hemp is about the hemp and not the hype, which speaking of hype, Representative Verla Insco, Democrat from Orange County, kind of hysterical a little bit, kind of terrified of what might have been. I believe that if this bill had been law when the pandemic started, we would never have had a mask mandate. And I believe we would lost thousands of more people. Okay. Uh, that, uh, well, I believe that that's not the case. <laughs> and my belief is just as valid as yours. As long as we're just making stuff up, right? Like, here you go. Maybe there would have been more of a debate over a mask mandate. Now, the reason I think there probably would have been a mandate is because there were mandates in states run by Republicans, too. They were all over the place. Um, now, there are some states that didn't have a mask mandate, but I, I think that if you have a council of state and governor, right, that are Democrats, you got Democrats that are weighing in on this, I think you probably would have a mask mandate in place at some point. Now, I don't think it would have lasted as long as it has, but I think it would have... I think it probably would have gotten passed at some point, but maybe there would have been more of a debate over the science behind the masks. And, hey, you know what? Maybe you could have had more buy-in. Maybe uh, if, because all it would have taken would have been, you know, all four Democrats to say yes on the mask mandate, and then you get one Republican to sign on to it. And when that happens, now you got a 5-5 split, right? So is that consent of the governed? Maybe. Maybe you pick up another Republican and now you got buy-in, as Destin Hall mentioned. Now you have buy-in. And with that buy-in, maybe you have even higher rates of mask participation. People are, like, way more people are now wearing masks because it's seen as a bipartisan thing. And maybe that actually means more lives are saved. See, I can play this game, too. It's a ridiculous... Uh, speculative argument that has, again, no value. Representative Quick then got up and debated the bill for a second time. It is true that the Council of State is elected statewide, but only one person is elected as the governor. That's true. That person is given these authorities and powers and has had them before. 
and now is not the time to change course. Everyone in here represents a district that has been affected by this pandemic. True. Economically, psychologically, socially. Uh, our pastor church and uh, every church has been affected by this pandemic. However, we don't live in an economy. We live in a society that has built this great economy. And our society must be protected from this virus. And there will be no economy if there are no people. Yeah, so, yes, he's a pastor. He just said it. <laughs> and I understand what you're saying, but it's kind of a pointless argument. You're not persuading anybody with this argument. Now, maybe it persuades people in your congregation. They already like you. They're going to your church. They've got, you know, family relations and everything that's all there. But me? Yeah, you're just a lawmaker to me, and this is not a persuasive argument. Trying to play cutesy with the words, you know, economy and society, like, yes, I get it, but they are related. And nobody is making an argument about the economy. This is so far removed from what the argument is actually about. And I suspect the reason why these folks on the Democratic side of the aisle are making these ridiculous arguments is because they don't actually have a good argument to make. Enough people have already passed, died from this pandemic, and it is not the time for us now to begin to look to get a vote of a set number of people to decide how we're going to save people's lives. The I just don't like it. That's what you say. It's just this isn't the time for it. This is not the time for it. Why? It's just not the time for it. Governor has shown a willingness to work together. The school plan that to reopen our schools came from the governor working together with this General Assembly. Oh, my God. And no, no, no. Oh, my God. See, look, th this you're rewriting the history now. Do you take us for fools that we weren't paying attention as to what occurred? The governor and the NCAE and you Democrats all fell in line and blocked the schools from reopening. And it was only when the Republicans forced this issue and the public polling was so terrible, so terrible that you guys finally caved. That's what happened. Don't tell me that the governor is listening to people. The governor got forced. He got dragged to that decision, kicking and screaming along with you and all of your Democratic colleagues. So don't tell me uh, that it's raining while you're whizzing on my boots, okay? Now we have a school plan that is going forward. Again, I would submit to all of us, we are still in the midst of this pandemic. We are not at the end. As much as we want to wish it away, just you, just as well as I do, I want to travel, I want to go out to eat, I want to enjoy my family. But we just can't wish this pandemic away. And we have to continue the course that the governor has set, I believe, a course that has been more responsive than South Carolina or Wisconsin. We don't live in those states. This constitution that we have, the powers that the governor has, he had them before the pandemic started. And again, I will submit to you, now is not the time to begin to play political football, which is what I think we would be doing if we did this, simply because we disagree with some of the decisions of the governor. If you would bother to ask me, do I agree with every decision the governor has made? I will tell you, no, I do not. But the response to that is not to strip the powers away from this governor or any future governor to be able to be nimble in the midst of a pandemic. All right. So he says, if you had bothered to ask me if I agreed with all of his decisions, have I? The answer is no. That is not the point, sir. That's not the point, whether you agree or disagree with his decisions. 
All of these questions you're just throwing out there, none of this is the point. The question is, should one person have this kind of power that lasts indefinitely? That's the question. Representative John Bell tried to bring everybody sort of back to the question. We actually need to be talking about the bill that we have before us. Not, not, not agendas, not politics, but actually the bill before us. And the bill before us is very simple because in, in, in our constitution, in our state, in our nation, no unilateral rule in a constitutional republic, period. Our, our country wasn't designed, our state wasn't designed that way. There's a reason why there's 120 members in this sole chamber. It's not for unilateral rule and that's what this bill is about. This is exactly what the bill does. It's not about reopening our state. It's not about what the governor did or didn't do. It's not about our opinions or your opinions about what he should do and about what he should do next. It's simply about should one person exactly have the unilateral authority to shut down schools, businesses, livelihoods for an extended period of time. Period. That's it. It doesn't take anything away. It doesn't eliminate powers. It actually just says, does this bill give one person the authority to dictate full control of our state? That's what it does. And that's a question each one of us has to answer when we press these buttons in a little bit. So here's a question you need to answer. Who are you going to use to buy or sell your next house? If you don't know the answer to that question, then write down this name, Rowena Patton. Rowena Patton and the All-Star Powerhouse team, they get homes sold They do it quickly, and they get you more money. That's what she's been doing. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. Uh, She has homes in all price points. She has buyers lined up. And if you put her to work for you, put her and the team to work for you, uh, you will have your house sold fast. Like so fast. I tell people start packing as soon as you call her because that's how fast it happens. Wheels go in motion. And the next thing you've got multiple offers on your house and you're moving out within a couple of weeks. So uh, give her a call buying or selling Rowena Patton, the only agent we called. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and yeah, then start packing. So Representative Bell said legislatures in other states are also making changes to their own emergency powers acts. The Ohio General Assembly just this week or last week, controlled by Republicans, overrode a veto by a Republican governor that dealt with the Emergency Powers Act in that state on this very issue dealing with health issues. If you look at what happened in Kansas, a bipartisan bill, bipartisan bill was put forth to manage emergency powers for future disasters and also health-related issues. Democrat control, the state of New York, they're addressing their governor's emergency powers and the authority that he has or doesn't have. If you look at Texas, numerous bills have been filed all throughout the legislature dealing with the exact same thing. This is nothing new. So now if I were an editorial writer for WRAL or the McClatchy newspapers, I would suggest that Governor Roy Cooper could do the right thing here, honor the constitutional principles of limited power and support this measure to willingly give up the power that he's been using due to an inconsistency in the law and an error in the bill drafting that made it into the law. On January the 9th of this year, Governor Cooper, during an interview with a News and Observer, they were talking about the Emergency Powers Act, and he stated, you know, he, he didn't believe that we should address the Emergency Powers Act in the middle of the pandemic, but stated as soon as we turn the corner on this pandemic <laughs> and later on this summer or fall, that may be something we want to look at. Oh, summer? 
That time has come. Uh. It's here. Our citizens are asking us to simply clarify the law that reflects challenges and encourages more bipartisan consensus regardless of who's governor. Right. Many people believe that in a state of emergency, you should actually have all hands on deck, not just one set of hands on deck. Great point. I would like for you to really think about this, and I want you to take a moment, and I want you to visualize this in your head. But what would happen if one person in this body could walk into this chamber and pass whatever law they wanted and bypass every single one of your voices or opinions? Now, Representative Maury then responded. I'll be brief, and it's just because in response to what has been said, Mm -hmm. I think some people on our side of the aisle would argue that the President of the United States in 2020 had some unilateral absolute authority. Okay. And some of us on the side of the aisle would say, well, he didn't act. (laughs) And he didn't even listen to the public health officials. Wait, wait, what? And see where we are today. So his... So Trump's lack of action is why Cooper needs more power or something? So I would argue that Governor Cooper has not acted like a dictator, only with unilateral authority. He has spoken to the people of the state weekly. Oh. He has been in press conferences. (laughs) He has explained his reasoning. And every time he backs it up with data. Oh, my God. He backs it up with the Secretary of Human Health. Oh, my God. He backs it up with CDC. This is a health emergency. And as far as I know, there's not one member of the Council of State who is an expert in public health. Neither is Cooper, though. He's not an expert in health care. And did you did you like the unilateral authority when Trump had it? No, you did not. No, you did not. Um, Trump also had advisors, but you didn't like that he didn't listen to them. Do we know that he's listening, that Cooper's listening to his advisors? Who are his advisors? Oh, and he gives news conferences, everybody. Yeah, so did Andrew Cuomo. Look how many dead people there are in New York over that. But also, the news conferences that Cooper does, they're all tightly managed and screened heavily. Right? I mean, these are the these are the most ridiculous arguments. There really is no logical or legitimate counter-argument here. The only obvious explanation for opposition to this is politics. Democrats are protecting their colleague's power because he wants them to. That's what's obvious here. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Get exclusive content by becoming a patron as well. Thanks for the support. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.